Welcome back to Aliyah Yomi. Today we're going to be learning together Vayeshev Revi, the fourth Aliyah in Parshas Vayeshev. This is a very difficult Aliyah to understand and it recounts the story of Yehuda and Tamar. The Aliyah runs from a Perek Lamed Ches Aleph to Lamed, the entire Perek, and is 30 Psukim long. Let's take a look at a very brief overview and then try to understand some of the details and perhaps the bigger picture as well. We hear that at this time, Vahi Sahi, Yehuda now goes down. He descends from his brothers and he goes to a man from Adulam, his name is Chira. And uh, we hear at this point in time that he sees, he meets a Ish Knani, and his name is Shua, and he, he meet, and he marries his daughter um, and has um, children. They have three children. Their names are Er, Onan, and Shela. And Yehuda decides to um, find a wife for his oldest son, Er, and her name is Tamar. Um, but Er is seen as a bad person, Hashem, bad in the eyes of Hashem, and Hashem kills him. Um, then Yehuda says to Anan, the, 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 you should really do Yibum, Yabem marry the wife of the deceased, in order to establish the children of the one who was, is no longer here. This is a proto-Yibum kind of practice, it seems. And it, so, it sounds like Onan is not interested in doing this. Onan is not invo- interested in continuing the children of his brother, and he... Um, and he is also killed by Hashem. At this point in time, um, Yehuda is not so keen on marrying Tamar to his youngest son. He's concerned that perhaps he is going to die just like his other two brothers. And so he says, just wait, just wait, because there's a responsibility for her and him, Shela and, and Tamar, to marry each other in this, this proto-Yibum experience. But, uh, but he says, just, just wait until he grows older. However, he does grow older and... and, and we see that um, Tamar is not getting married. In the meantime, um, Yehuda's own wife, Bas Shua, passes away, and Yehuda is Vayanochem Yehuda, and he, he receives comfort. He goes to do a shearing with his friend Chira, and Tamar hears this happening. She sees she's not getting married. She goes and she dresses herself up um, as a woman of the night on the side of the road, and um, he does not recognize her. He, t- he comes to her and he asks, he, re- he requests to have a relationship, a physical relationship with her. And she says, what will you give me in exchange for that? And he says, I will send you Gedi Izim Minatson. I will send you these goats. She says, well, you need to, in order to promise me that you need to have, you need to give me some sort of collateral. And she, he asks what the terms are. She says, this is your signet ring, some sort of clothing. And Matcha Asher Yodecha and your staff. And that's what he does. He exchanges those for that relationship. And uh, she then returns. She returns to her clothes of Almanus, of widowhood. And uh, Yehuda carries on. In the meantime, he wants to now redeem his collateral. He sends off a servant to go and give the promised goats. But he cannot find them. He says there was never a Kadesha here. There was never a lady of the night at this, uh, at this junction. In the meantime, Yehuda, three months later, hears the news that his daughter in Tamar, while waiting in a state of semi-marriage, where she's waiting to be married to his daughter Shela, in the meantime, he has fallen pregnant, and um, this is seen as a bad thing. Yehuda um, says, She should be taken out to be burnt, and as she's being taken out, she sends him these three collaterals, and she says, Hakerna, do you recognize to whom these belong? Because that is the person to whom I am pregnant too. Yehuda, at that point in time, realizing what has happened, um, exclaims the famous words, Tzod ka mimeni, she is more righteous than I am. And um, 
when the, this is the end of the story, where she does have twins, and one of the twins sticks out its hands. She te- she ties a, uh, a ribbon around the, the hand of this. The Mialetis ties a ribbon over the, this child's hand, and the other one then manages to get out first. And she calls one and gets out first. Parrots from the name um, breaking out, and the other one he calls Zerach. That's the end of this um, of this Aliyah. A few questions to ponder, and then perhaps a bigger question to ponder. First of all, why did Yehuda go down now? So Rashi says this was as a function of the brothers seeing what had happened to their father Yaakov, the terrible suffering, the inconsolable suffering that Yaakov had gone through, and they felt that Yehuda was responsible for this, for not having been a stronger leader, for not having convinced them of the ills of those actions. So although Yehuda did intercede and, and try not to, to get them to kill him, but they felt that if he had said something more strongly, they would have listened as well. Rav Sarotskin points out that in history, in Jewish history, it's common that at a moment of great despair, tragedy and salvation is actually born. So this seems to be a, a moment of terrible depression, separation. Yehud, Yosef Simitzrayim, Yehud is now separate from his brothers. There's blame, there's anger, there's guilt. And yet in this moment, we know that this is going to be the, the, the creation of Mashiach as well. Malbim points out that all, um, as all Golis is beginning, so Yosef is now on a camel on the way down to Mitzrayim. At that point in time, the Redeemer is being born. Similar kind of idea to Rav Sarotskin. They all draw this from a very beautiful Midrash Rabbah, which says the, 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 the following statement to the name of Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman. And he says the following, the, the tribes were involved in the sale of Yosef. Yosef was, was mourning for his own loss. Reuven was, was, was mourning for his Averos. Yaakov was in a state of mourning of his son. Yehuda was trying to find a wife. Hashem was trying to create the light of the Melech HaMashiach. Meaning while everybody else is distracted, everybody else is going through terrible conniptions and pain, at this point in time, HaKosh Baruch Hu is creating the light, which is really the end of the journey. Now, what was the sin exactly of Er and Ona? Not very clear um, in the Pesukim, certainly not by Er, what was actually done. Rashi explains that the sin is a little more explicit in the case of Ona, the second son, and because it says he also did this, it indicates that Er was also liable for this, and that was that they had not wanted to impregnate Tamar, their wife, um, first Er and then Onan following suit, and they wanted to sort of preserve the pleasure of beauty rather than go through the process of childbirth and child raising and all the difficulties that come with that and all the um, all the physical changes that come with that as well. And that being the case, that was seen as a very hedonistic, very self-centered way of looking at things. The Malbim, the Malbim actually does point out that Onan was following suit rather than sort of creating this evil path or this way of doing things. And, um, and therefore, he, he was not called Ra, he was not seen evil, but his actions were seen as evil as well. Now, one of the biggest questions in this whole idea is how could Yehuda consort with a prostitute, with a woman of the night? How does this work? Rav Hirsch points out that we need to bear in mind that, first of all, that this is before Matan Torah. However, at the same time, it is important to show that perhaps the Torah is telling us that this is not the right way to go. The Torah is emphasizing this and showing this very painful incident in it in an attempt to show us this is clearly not the way that one is supposed to behave in life as well. It also points, he also points out that at this point in time, Yehuda was also widowed. So there's ma- many different factors which don't, don't necessarily give license, but it makes a more complex description over here. We'll try to deal with this question a little more in just a moment. 
Now, with just a few basics as well, why does she ask for these three things? Chizkuni explains that they are things that he needs on a daily basis, so he will miss them dearly. So his staff, his ring, his, his, his cloak, he's all things he needs all the, uh, all the time. The Haimekdara says that it's about the things that Yehuda is supposed to represent. The stick representing rulers or kings, the clothing, his robe, focusing on his meditation and of, uh, on Hashem, perhaps coming back to the idea of psil, perhaps the tzitzis, which were on the robe. And the signet is his being an educator and a, and a teacher. So these were perhaps what Yehuda should be. Perhaps she was symbolizing what it is that she wanted to produce from him with him. Um, or it could be perhaps a criticism on what he is because of the actions that, that he is leading right now. Kleoko takes a one level de- deep on a Midrashic level to say that these are the three collaterals that, uh, that Hashem will give to the nation of Israel in the very dark and difficult course of Jewish history. At times when we feel that we've been left alone, Hashem reminds us that he has given a collateral, or first of all, the signet of Hashem, that's the name yud Hey, the name of Hashem, which is an incomplete name. As we say at the end of Pasha's Bashalach Ki Yad Al-Kes Ka, that Hashem's war with Amalek of evil in the world is going to make his name imperfect in this world. So it's the signet of Hashem, his name, which is incomplete. Also the psil is the tzitzis, reminding us of the Kisya Kavod, the throne of Hashem, that's the case the, the, the way that the throne of Hashem is mentioned in that same pasuk is missing the last aleph, ki yad al ka, that the, the hand of evil is on Hashem's throne, making it an incomplete throne in this world while evil still exists. And finally, matacha, your stick is a, sort of in the shape of the vav, which is the missing vav in the name of Eliyahu five times in Tanakh. So Hashem has given us the collateral that his name is not complete, his throne is not complete, and the vav in Eliyahu, the Redeemer, is not complete until until end of time to indicate to us that as difficult as it looks throughout the course of history, it's going to Hashem is still looking after us. Now, why is she slated for burning? That seems like a very severe punishment. So Rachel Makarish says that this is the gezerah, this is the decree of the base to no shame of the um, who was uh, who really set to the law, and it, because they were very makbid on immorality, she was seen. This was seen as during the course of wedlock, she was still um, she was supposed to be marrying Shayla. So this is seen out of wedlock relationships. Just to clarify that Yehuda was not in a state of wedlock at this point in time. He was his wife had passed away, but this was seen as a very severe crime. The Bechor Shore Yosef Bechor Shore explains that. Um, Actually, um, she came from the family of shame, which means that she's also a Bas Kohen. Shame was a priest. He was a priest to Hashem, and a Bas Kohen, a daughter of a Kohen, is treated more severely, even in the Oin Shem um, that, that the Gemara describes in the Mishnahs and Sanhedrin. Rasarotskin says it could be that also the criticism of Tamar was the way that she, they felt that she was acting shamelessly. In other words, they felt that they wanted to um, make an example to avoid this kind of thing happening in society uh, uh, for in future times. Fascinatingly enough, the Torah quotes of Yehuda Chassid, who has a very unique approach, where he says that this wasn't about killing her; this was about giving branding her. They would put some sort of uh, mark on her that would would ostracize her as a um, as a person who doesn't behave morally, but it was, and that would be a burn mark, but it would not be to kill her, it would be to, to uh, create an example out of people who behave in such a way to avoid that kind of behavior, a public sort of humiliation for, for people who behave in such a way. Now, why doesn't she just accuse him outright? Why does she sort of ask him in this roundabout fashion, Hakerna, do you recognize, is, is, is this the, the, the signet, the cloak, the staff? 
So Rabbi Foreman points out that in fact she is reiterating the same question that Yehuda asked of his father. When, his, when he deceived his father, he asked of his father, do you recognize this coat? Do you recognize this coat? And the coat was the item of subterfuge in which he used to cloak his actions of having sold Yosef. Here Tamar is deceiving him and asking him in the same way. It's almost like it is a full circle now coming back to the responsibility that Yehuda bears to his father, which is part of what's going on over here, which perhaps Tamar is tapping into. Why is it that she has twins? Rav Srotskin points out that this is, to re, re, this is the reconstitution of two souls that were lost. That's Er and Onan. Um, Peretz is Er and Zerach is Onan. And if it had been Shela who had been the intended, he would have only been able to reconstitute the previous soul. That would have been the soul of Onan, which is why Zerach sticks his hand out first. That's the one soul of Onan. But when, because Yehuda is really essentially the father of all the three souls, then when he was able to do the, this proto um process, he ultimately brings back both of the lost souls, which is why there's twins as well. Now, the, coming back to the bigger question of this section is, what do we learn from the story? What are we meant to take away from the story? It's a very difficult story to digest. You know, and it comes back to really a question is, what makes a great leader? You know, does making a great leader mean a person is a poster boy um, on the side of the highway? Is this the person who's valedictorian of an Ivy League school, a congressperson at the age of 21, a senator at the age of 27? What, what does it mean to be a great person? So what is interesting is, is that the Torah paints a picture of a great person is a person who's able to recover and take responsibility. If we think about this Aliyah, what we see over here is a person who goes through a, in a terrible nosedive, a person who, who feels the burden and the guilt, the responsibility of the actions that he took, and, and, and in a certain sense, just, you know, floats away from family, you know, you know marries, sort of gets on with his own life, is no longer part of the, the broader family goals and, and life, it seems. And he, he in, a, in a certain sense, you know, I guess his lowest point was the lack of responsibility, so much so that, that when he engages with his prostitute, it's almost as if that, that, that moment is the lowest point where he sort of left his life, he's left his responsibility, he doesn't it's almost like he's careless at this point in time. When it takes me back to the words of the hollow men by T.S. Eliot. We are the hollow men. We are the stuffed men leaning together, headpiece filled with straw. It's the sense of emptiness, the sort of going with the, the flow of life and because of the fact that it's so meaningless. And, and what this story does is it expresses the turning point of that low nadir. That's when Yehud is able to turn around and say, Tzad Kabimene. At that moment that he takes responsibility for his life, for his actions, for his perhaps misactions, that is the making of what leadership looks like. And that's why later on in Parashas Mikates, when Yehud wants to bring Binyamin down in order to finance the family with food, he says to his father, Miyadi, Anochi arvenu miyadi I will take responsibility. The expression of Yehuda is the idea of a person who's willing to take responsibility again. His name is Yehuda, which is a notion not of just a thanksgiving, but of also our admission. What makes a great leader is a person who can go through this. And for all time and eternity, this story will be in the Torah and people will badmouth Yehuda and talk about everything that he did and all the things, the misdeeds and the misgivings. But you know what? The Torah is putting it here to show us that through it and despite it and perhaps even because of it, he took responsibility to become the leader and the Melech, though the father of the Melech HaMashiach. That's perhaps what the story is telling us. With this we close this complicated alia.